So have you ever had to replace something? Maybe you had to replace a, a light bulb or an air filter or a, a hot water heater. Maybe you had to replace your charging cord on your phone. Maybe you had to replace a piece of bacon that fell on the floor. I mean, you know, the five-second rule works, you know. And if it's applewood thick-cut smoked bacon, then I mean, the five-minute rule would really work on that one, right? Just, it's okay. It'll be fine. I saw something interesting, a, a historical observation about something that had to be replaced. And it goes like this, and I quote, Jeep was born out of the Army's need for a vehicle that could replace both the horse and the motorcycle as a general purpose transportation device. General purpose, that's, that's the Jeep. GP for short, and some believe that's where it got its name. GP kind of sounds like Jeep. But Jeep has come a long way from being a general transportation military device. I saw in 2005 there was a concept car known as the Jeep Hurricane. It was worth $2 million. Yeah, that's a lot of Jeep. You know what you could do with $2 million? Do you know how much bacon you could buy with $2 million? Well, if the average cost of a slice of bacon thick cut is about $1.30, that means that you could buy just under 2 million slices of bacon with $2 million. Come on now, happy Father's Day to that, right? Gosh, that's fantastic, but we'll get back to the Jeep. Uh, Jeeps, generally speaking in culture, are known for being cool because they don't have any doors, right? That's, that's kind of one of the things that has always been appealing about cruising around in a Jeep. But you can trade the no doors in for what they call trail doors. Trail doors are uh, these kind of tubular doors that are kind of open-ended and, and they fit into the door frame. And they may even have a little mesh on them every now and then. And, and they're kind of designed for a little bit of safety when you're out there mud bogging. In fact, one Jeep's outfitter put it this way. Trail doors keep all occupants in but still gives you that windy, wide-open feeling out on the road. Keeping all the occupants in sounds like an important thing, right? And not just when you're cruising around in a Jeep. See, the reality is the confusion and the frustration and the fear and the, the stress and anxiety, all the things that are happening in the world. What would be really nice is to have some good trail doors, Meaning it'd be really nice to make sure that the occupants stay inside or to be more specific in the middle of all of the chaos of life. When things are really hard, it would be really nice if we didn't lose our minds. If we had something that was kind of holding us together as we cruise down the road of life. Our series Doors has been renewed and extended for two more Sundays. Uh, we're going to go a couple of more Sundays with doors. And, and we've been looking at some of the most defining doors in life. And as you might imagine, today's message is called Trail Doors. Trail Doors. And we'll be looking at James chapter 3, verse 13. And what James is going to do is he is going to help us see some of the most important trail doors that we need in life. Listen to James 3, verse 13. He writes... Who among you is wise and understanding? Wisdom and understanding are two of the most important trail doors that we can have in life. Some of the most important things that we can have in life that keep all the occupants in. 
Some of the most important things that help us stay on the narrow road that leads to life. And so James is writing to the early church and he says, hey, I want you to look around you and find who is hardworking and nice. Nope. He says, look around you. Who is wise and understanding? Who is wise and understanding? Do you see them? Do you recognize them? And how could you recognize them? How do you know what to look for? King Solomon is arguably the wisest, if not one of the wisest men who ever lived, ever. And and he said this in Proverbs 3.13, Blessed is a person who finds wisdom and one who obtains understanding. Blessed is happy, satisfied, fortunate, to be envied is the man or woman or boy or girl that finds wisdom and gains understanding. So in just mentioning this, because James would have known what King Solomon wrote, and just mentioning wisdom and understanding together, what James is trying to do for me and for you is this, he's trying to make us happy. He's trying to bring happiness into our life. He's trying to bring joy into our life because wisdom and understanding brings blessedness. It brings happiness. It brings satisfaction. It brings joy. So what does it mean to be wise? And what does it mean to be understanding? Well, we're not talking about being wise with money. We're not primarily talking about being wise with business. We're not talking about being wise with with baking or building or creating or coaching, although all of those things can have their place. No, what James is doing is he's trying to get us to aim higher. He's, He's shooting for wisdom from above. Someone said it's almost as if James is looking out and saying, look, who do you know that is no longer obsessed with their will, but they have wrapped their life up looking for the will of God. God's will is their greatest passion. Think about that question for your own life. Think about that question for your house, for the place you work at, for the place you go to school at, for even for our church. Look around. Who is it that no longer is obsessed with getting their way, obsessed with their will, but, but their greatest passion? is God's will and the will of God. Now, let me just say this and hurt all of our feelings. It's really none of us, okay? (laughs) I mean, we are all way too selfish. We're all way too arrogant, way too prideful, way too stubborn to really forego our will and be obsessed with the will of God. But that doesn't mean we aren't supposed to be shooting for that. Our energy, our effort, our passion, our purpose should be wrapped up in the will of God. It is the goal. It is what we should be shooting for. So let's consider the question. The question is, who is it that's wise and understanding? Who is it among you that is pursuing God's will? Who is it that you can see and know they are on purpose saying, I want God's will done in the world and I want God's will done in my life and I'm going to set my affections and my actions on the will of God how do we know and how do we see that well there is a starting point 
Apostle John's going to give us that starting point through a question. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5 says this, Who is the one who overcomes the world? That's, that's a great opening part of, this, of a question. Who is the one who's going to overcome the world? He continues, But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When we think about the, the highest things that any of us could do in life, one of the most purposeful things, one of the things that would be looked up to pretty much any culture that we would ever go to, we would have to say that the concept of overcoming the world has to be up there, right? To overcome this world, to overcome the darkness in this world, to overcome the, the darkness and defeat of sin and evil in this world, and even to overcome death in this world. That, that has to be pretty high up on the list, right? To actually overcome the world, to overcome death. How does a person do that? How do, you, how do you go about that? Well, John said, by believing in the Son of God. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. So the question for each one of us is this, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe that? If so, and you are committing every part of your existence to that reality, then you will overcome the world. If not, by default, you will not and cannot overcome the world. So we would graciously plead with you to consider the truth about Jesus. The truth that Jesus is the Son of God. The truth that Jesus came from heaven to earth. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He was crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem. Three days later, he was raised from the dead to cancel out the power of sin. And because of all he has already done, he has promised that he is returning again. Believe in that truth. Consider that truth. That is the truth that helps us overcome the world. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And how do we do it? Is it just something that we just believe? You know? We just, we just believe it. It's just information? Or is there something else that has to happen in order for us to believe? John tells us a few sentences later, 1 John 5, 11, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Our ability to believe that Jesus is the Son of God comes from the work of God. It is all the work of God. We respond to the work of God. God gives us eternal life. We believe in that eternal life, and we do this. We keep believing and keep believing and keep believing in that eternal life. We don't turn on Fox News and forget eternal life. We don't watch a, a presidential debate and forget eternal life. We don't pump gas and forget eternal life. When God gives us eternal life, it's in there and we keep believing in the eternal life that we've been given. We keep believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is returning again, and that he is fully in control of everything on this planet right now. Doesn't always feel that way. But when we don't feel, we believe. 
because we know we cannot overcome without him, but with him we do overcome. With Christ we overcome and and the wisdom and the understanding that comes with that eternal life and that belief is not just for later, it's for now, but it's definitely for later. The wisdom and understanding of believing that Jesus is the Son of God is something that helps us right now, but then it keeps helping us. All other forms of wisdom and understanding fall short of that. One commentator put it like this, if the Lord Jesus Christ is a stranger to you, the best that you can hope for is to become a philosopher like Socrates of old. Now granted, I mean, being like Socrates would be pretty cool, okay? That's, that's true. But it has a ceiling. There's only so far you can go. That wisdom, that understanding, it only lasts for this world. But turning to Christ, believing in Christ, it creates a wisdom and understanding that's great for this Father's Day, and then it's great when every Father's Day is over. It's great 10,000 years from now. See, the beauty of the wisdom of the gospel is it's not just for here, it is forever. It's great for doing life today, but it is tremendous for doing life when today is over and when all our days are over. Here's the thing, though. There are a lot of people that just don't care. A friend of mine posted something this morning. A a recent Gallup poll is showing that more than any other time in in the last hundred years or so, I can't remember what the math was, there are more people now that say they don't believe in God. There's a lot of people that say they don't believe in God, and there's a lot of people that say, yeah, this forever thing, I I don't know. This whole concept of, of eternal life, this whole talk about religion, it's just silly fantasy. And if they don't say it's fantasy, they'll say, well, nobody can really know for sure, so it's pointless to talk about it. Say, hey, let's just eat, drink, and be merry because we may die tomorrow. Again, pulling wisdom from one of the wisest men who ever lived, King Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He says this, God has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. You were created with a desire for eternity. I was created with a desire for eternity. We can ignore it. We can deny it. We can fight against it. We can reject it. We can do whatever. But in the deepest part of who you are, in the deepest part of our inner person, in the deepest part of of my life, I know it and you know it. And the agnostic knows it and the atheist knows it. And the purveyor of, of any kind of religion knows it. And the purveyor of any kind of new world philosophy knows it. We know that we have been created with a desire for eternity. We have a desire to overcome this world. C.S. Lewis describes that desire very interestingly. He says this, The desire is the secret signature of each soul. The incommunicable and unappeasable won't unappeasable meaning nothing else will satisfy your favorite sport your favorite food your favorite family member your favorite job your favorite vacation your favorite jeep whatever you want to put in the blank it will never appease what you desire the most 
He goes on. It is the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, and it will be the thing we shall still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. See, there is more to this life than just living and dying. There is more to this life than summer vacation. There is more to this life than a job. There is more to this life than a new house or a new car. There is more to this life than retirement. And you know that, and I know that. It is inside of who we are. We have this desire to discover the very signature of our soul. And nothing else will appease that desire. We must find that desire. We must have that desire quenched. I know it, you know it, and again, pulling from King Solomon, he said this, Proverbs, verse nine, Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The desire inside of us that longs for the signature of our soul is only going to be found in fearing the Lord and discovering the knowledge of the one true holy God. That's it. We can chase the whole world over, but but we will fail. Our desire will not be met until we find that desire in God. So how do we find the knowledge of the Holy One? How do we find knowledge about God? Well, by God's design, if we're truly going to be wise and truly going to be understanding, we have to connect ourselves to the Bible. It's, it's God's, God's design. It's his desire to put his truth in the Bible. The Bible is his book. And he's designed for wisdom and understanding to come from the truth of his book. But when we talk about wisdom and knowledge and understanding, we're not just talking about book smarts, okay? There's something more here. Throughout the Bible, when you see the concept of wisdom, you see the same thing. Wisdom is something that's applied. It means that you gain knowledge, you gain understanding, but you actually do something with it. It's not just information that you have. It is part of who you are. 3,024 years ago, things were crazy and confusing throughout the country. The leaders of the nation were in constant conflict and disagreement. Things we don't know anything about, right? In other words, again, pulling from King Solomon, there is nothing new under the sun. There's not. We live now, so it's easy for us to say, oh, the country's never been worse. That's not true. It's just not. There is nothing new under the sun. The locations are different, the names are different, but the sin is still all the same. And the sin might have a different name to it, but it's still the same. There's nothing new under the sun. And 3,024 years ago, there were some folks from a place called Issachar. And this is how the Bible described them. 1 Chronicles 12, 32. The sons of Issachar were men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. They understood, paid attention to what was going on, and they knew what to do because their wisdom and their understanding was coming from God. 
They weren't just looking around and saying, well, man, everything is terrible. They had wisdom and understanding, and they were doing something with it. That's what James is talking about. He's talking about wisdom and understanding that we do something with. Listen, you can have a a PhD from a prestigious university and not be wise. And you can have a PhD from the school of hard knocks and not be wise. And because those things are true, that means how would we know if we are wise and understanding? And how would we know if we're moving toward being wise and understanding? Well, James is going to help us look at verse 13 again. Let him show by his good behavior. True wisdom, true understanding is revealed in how we act. It's revealed in our conduct. Not perfect, of course, because none of us are, but it's seen in our life. If we're wise and understanding, it's seen in our life. There is some measure of the truth of God that's seen in how we talk and how we act and the decisions that we make. Our wisdom is not just book information at church or Bible information at church. It is seen in who we are. The evidence that God is working in our life is seen in how we think and how we act, what we do, how we react, how we respond. The old hymn by Rufus McDaniel put it this way, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought. It's not a word we use much. It's been wrought. It has happened. It's, it's active. It's going on. Why? Since Jesus came into my heart. Wisdom and understanding in a person's life, the ultimate wisdom and understanding, comes because that person's heart has been changed by Jesus. So what does that look like? If a heart's been changed by Jesus, what does it look like? James tells us, look at the next part of verse 13. Let him show by his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Now I want you to think about everything that's going on in the world right now. Think about everything that you don't like, everything that you think should be different, everything you want different for the future, everything you want changed back. Whatever it is that's got you off kilter. Do you think the answer for those things is gentleness? Let me answer for you. No. (laughs) When we look at the chaos happening in the world, the last thing we think is going to work is gentleness. Not in a million years. It's 2022. We're we're living in a a godless, immoral society, a post-Christian society. Gentleness. We don't need any gentleness. It's that gentleness that's making us all woke. It's that gentleness that's causing all the problems. No, we don't need any gentleness. We need somebody to stand up for something. Here's the problem, though. (laughs) Throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the answer for conflict and chaos is gentleness and wisdom. That's, That's the answer. Now, here's the problem. Most of us, when we think about gentleness, you know, we think about, you know, sitting at home in a lazy boy, you know, we've, we've got our pet bunny in our lap and we're petting the bunny, you know, and, you know, we're, we're eating Oreos and sipping lemonade and watching reruns of Dancing on Ice, you know, I mean, we're, we're just, oh, 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 he's so gentle. The problem is that's not how the Bible defines gentleness. Ultimately, the Bible defines gentleness as strength 
under control. But more specifically, uh, we're going to word it like this. To be gentle or meek means to have strength under control, or in more detail, it means to suffer through inconvenience and hurt caused by the sin of others with a healthy attitude that keeps trusting in God. Let me just repeat that. Gentleness and meekness, according to the dictionary of the Bible, by definition, it means that you know how to hang in there when you have been hurt or offended by the sin of others and you hang in there because you never stop trusting God. Friend, this world desperately needs gentleness. We are in a culture and a world that desperately needs that. We need men and women who, when they are offended, when sin causes pain in their life, the sin of others, that they do not fall out of the Jeep, but the trail doors of wisdom and understanding keep them in. They keep driving and they keep trusting God and they don't stop. Now we're going to have our moments. We all, we all will. But generally speaking, is the trust of God seen in your life. Because that's what it means to be gentle and meek. But see, when we hear gentle and meek, we hear weak. That's what we hear. We hear gentle and meek and we think weak. There was a man many years ago, he led at least a, a million people out of oppression. He was a man's man, and his name was Moses. And this is what the Bible says about Moses, Numbers 12, 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Fathers, grandfathers, can I just share with you? Based on this verse, it says that he was more meek above the rest of them. In other words, it seems to be a practice of the people who were following God that they were gentle and meek. It was part of who they were. They were gentle and meek men, and Moses was just head and shoulders above the rest of them. Moses was gentle and he was meek, but he was not I love how Kent Hughes has described this. He says this, Moses was the most meek man on earth, but at the same time, Moses was a man who could act decisively, be as hard as nails, and rise to anger at the proper time. He goes on, Those who are gentle and meek are immensely powerful, for they are controlled by God. Your power is not in your physical strength. It's not even in your mental strength. It's not in your financial strength. It's not in how much applause or education or affirmation you've gotten from anybody in the world. It's not even from your experience. True strength is being controlled by God. Not in a psycho-robotic way but in a way that says, I can trust him. He's proved himself over and over and over again. Being gentle, being meek, is strength under control. It is not weakness. Gentleness, meekness, strength under control, those are good trail doors. 
Those are a picture of what it means to be wise and understanding. So, what's the opposite of gentleness? What's the opposite of meekness? What's the opposite of, of strength under control? What's the opposite of wisdom and understanding? Well, let's use our definition that we used a second ago. We could say this, you will not be gentle or meek if you refuse to suffer through the inconvenience of being offended or the pain of the sin of others and you refuse to trust God. You refuse to keep stepping up and stepping in no matter how many times somebody hurts your feelings, no matter how many times it's done the way you don't want it done. I mean, really, I, as a dad, I mean, we just all have our way of doing things, right? I mean, we do. We just have our way of doing things, you know? And most of us have our way of doing things, you know? You got your certain way to, you know, wash the car. You have your certain way to organize the garage. You have your certain way to replace a light bulb. You have your certain way to bake a cake. I mean, whatever it may be, we all have kind of our certain ways. And if you amplify that in the world, when we're put in a situation and we're not getting our way, when our kids don't do it the way we always do it, in that moment, can you have a healthy attitude? Can you suffer through the inconvenience? And can you keep trusting God? That's the picture. That's what James is calling us to as Christians. Suffer through the inconvenience. Suffer through the offense. Have a healthy attitude, not because... You know, you're listening to Don't Worry, Be Happy. But because you are trusting God. If we were going to say the opposite of deeds and gentleness of wisdom, we might say that, that we are living in doing deeds of selfishness out of arrogance. And, and that doesn't sound very wise. In other words, we, we live in a world where there's plenty of selfishness, Right? There's plenty of arrogance to go around, right? We don't need more of that in the world. We live in a world where everyone's demanding their way. That's what's great about being a Christian, is that we have not been called to demand our way. Let me repeat that, because sometimes it's hard for us to hear. The beauty of being in Christ, the beauty of salvation, we have never been called to demand our way. And get this, we haven't even been called to demand God's way. You know what? You may not know this, but, but God can take care of himself. <laughs> he, he's got it. He doesn't need us. So he doesn't need us to demand his way. But he has invited us into his kingdom, and he's called us to do something, not demand our way, but display his glory. God has called us to display his glory. And until we arrive in his kingdom in a full and, and final way, that's what we do. We display his glory. We look for ways to have a sense of gentleness, of wisdom, so that other people can find the signature of their soul. We've been invited to do that. And ultimately, that signature is all found in Jesus. 
Deeds and and gentleness of wisdom help people find Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest treasure in the universe. So dear Christian, we have been invited to display the glory of God in deeds of the gentleness of wisdom so that other people could find the greatest treasure in the universe. Who doesn't want to do that? (laughs) I mean, really. I mean, do we really want to be the people that say, you know what, I don't want them to find the greatest treasure in the universe. Nah, they're on their own. No, we've been invited by the king of glory to help other people find the greatest treasure in the universe. That's our invitation. But there's still some people that say it's it's just a waste of time. They will say that in 2022, gentleness is a waste of time. Yeah, we, we don't need that. We just don't need it. Let me tell you why we do. I was reading something earlier this week uh, that a grandson wrote about his grandfather. This is what he wrote. My grandfather was one of the worst men I have ever known personally. I struggle to remember a single positive lesson I learned in the first 25 years of knowing him. Not one memory, not a piece of profound advice, not a character quality I long to emulate. For the vast majority of the years I knew him, I learned nothing from him of love or loyalty, of honesty or self-control, of marriage or fatherhood. Such was the playbook my dad received growing up and what he carried into our family. Well, there's a Hallmark Father's Day card, right? (laughs) But Marshall's dad, the author of that, Marshall Siegel, his dad became a believer of Jesus, even though he was handed this terrible playbook. And look, all of us have situations, but, but be careful about blaming your life on the playbook you were handed. His dad became a believer and follower of Jesus. He raised his four sons with deeds and gentleness of wisdom. He he raised them in the truth of the gospel. And then one day something happened. This is how Marshall tells the story. Months into a fight with cancer that would eventually take his life, the grandfather I had known feared and counted hopeless had become another man. A man in Christ through faith. God had produced patience where there had been a swift temper. God had produced joy, sure and strong, where there had been only bitterness and irritation. God had humbled the proudest and softened the hardest. And then Marshall writes this. God had made a once terrible father into a chosen son, a once harsh dad into a gentle man. Not a gentleman, but a gentle man, a man of gentleness, strength under control. Marshall goes on. If your father is not the father God calls him to be, God may still make him new. 
He rescued Richard A. Siegel Sr. at age 78, and he could just as easily work a miracle for your dad. And so he gives this advice. Keep loving, keep serving, keep sharing, and most of all, keep praying. So did you hear Marshall? Marshall said, gentleness, that ain't what my grandfather needs. He's a jerk. You know, generally speaking, we can look at the world right now and say the world's being a jerk. And they don't need gentleness. And yet they do. Keep loving, keep serving, keep sharing, and keep praying. You know what those sound like? Those sound like the trail doors of wisdom and understanding. Those sound like the the kind of things that, that keep things together. So, fathers, grandfathers, and really any of us, are you driving with the trail doors of wisdom and understanding? Are you continually loving, serving, sharing, and praying? In the middle of the chaos and confusion of this world, are you keeping the right occupants inside? Are you keeping your mind set on the truth of God? Are you keeping wisdom and understanding and knowledge and gentleness, all of these truths about God in your heart and in your mind, and are you using them on the road as you travel through life? We have a choice. We can wake up every morning and we can be the men and women that read the news, listen to the news, and spend the rest of the day railing about everything happening in the world. Or we can be the men and women that wake up every morning and yeah, we may read the news, but before we read the news, we're going to read about the knowledge of the Holy One. And then we're going to spend the rest of our day raving about the one who gave us eternal life, raving about the one who created time, raving about the one who is full of grace and mercy and love. Will we rail or will we rave? The gospel would call us to rave. We can with deeds in the gentleness of wisdom change at least the world around us you know at least things in our home and at our job and in the church and and where we have a scope of influence we can take things with the deeds and the gentleness of wisdom and we can blaze a trail we can blaze a trail that helps people find and enjoy the greatness of Jesus the treasure of Jesus in other words Through deeds in the gentleness of wisdom, we can help people find the signature of their soul. Why? Because we've already found it. God has already given us eternal life. What does the world need now? It needs a few good men and women to live in the deeds of gentleness of wisdom because they do have the signature of their soul and that signature is Jesus.